All right, so open to Matthew chapter 1. This is how we'll start this process because I don't want anybody to go into panic mode, okay? Matthew chapter 1, the first book in the New Testament. If you're using the Pew Bible in front, you just go ahead and jump ahead. You're going to be on page 1081. Okay, you have Matthew. Okay, good. Now, back up to the left, five books. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. See, now, if I would have just said open to Habakkuk, y'all would have been like, what? Okay, so I'm trying to help you, all right? I know nobody was reading Habakkuk this morning in their quiet time. I get it, okay? Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be in a series I'm calling Upstream. We're going to spend a few weeks in this amazing book. Now, it's only three chapters, so you got to go slow. Those are little minor prophets. Upstream. Upstream is when you're doing something that you normally do, but it has become exponentially difficult, even frustrating. When you think about a fish swimming upstream, a fish is doing what it was made to do, what it always does. And yet, when it's swimming upstream, doing that thing that it always does becomes very difficult. Not only is it frustrating, but it's exhausting because you are fighting against the current. But then beyond that, you're also fighting against the majority of everything else that's in the current is coming down with the current. And so you're going against the current. You're going against the crowd. And it can be very exhausting and it can certainly lead to frustration can anybody relate to frustration virus frustration economic frustration political frustration racial frustration the list goes on and on and on i would say that if you haven't been frustrated recently then you're not really dealing with reality now, throughout Scripture, we find instances where God's people are in a season of frustration. And what most commonly is going on when we find God's people frustrated? They're existing in the gap between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise. And it's in the middle of that where they find themselves frustrated. Right? Yes. So, for example, uh, God promises His people a land that flows with milk and honey. But before they receive that land, they spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Do you know the root word of the word quarantine is 40? 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years of frustration. If you read the book of Exodus, you find that the people are frustrated with Moses. Moses is frustrated with the people. Everyone's frustrated. Why are they frustrated? They're frustrated because they don't know what's going on. They're not sure where they're going. They're not sure where this is all leading. They don't know what tomorrow holds. Everything has been turned topsy-turvy. And so even when they do good for a couple days, it doesn't take long for the situation, the gap between the promise and the fulfillment to become a source of frustration. 
And so I want to give you a, a principle to help you to understand sort of how we're going to lead into this time. If you get out your listening guide, the first principle is this. When we don't understand what God is doing, we need to remember who God is. I'm sorry, I don't have a slide for this. You'll just have to write it down. When we don't understand what God is doing, we need to remember who God is. This is the lesson that Habakkuk is going to teach us this morning. And this is going to be a very important lesson for us to learn, a very relevant message for us to allow God to embed in our hearts. When we don't understand what God is doing, we need to remember who God is. Let's pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll study together. Father, we thank you for your perfect and errant word. We thank you for this gift. We receive these beautiful, true, relevant words from you 2,700 years ago. These were the words spoken to a prophet. And today, we need them right now in this very situation that we find ourselves in. As if we were Habakkuk. So will you, as only you can, give us ears to hear. Prepare our hearts that we might receive rightly your word. That you would be above all things glorified in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arising. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now, in the opening verses... The prophet Habakkuk addresses God and uses words like violence, iniquity, trouble, plundering, strife, contention. And we're just in the first couple of verses. And what I want you to see is that Habakkuk is looking at a nation that is morally, ethically, and spiritually coming apart at the seams. And he has been looking for quite some time. And he doesn't know what else to do but to come to God in a very bold and brash way, almost unlike we see anywhere else in Scripture. If you could read this in the original language, you would realize that Habakkuk is coming to God and he's literally shouting in frustration about what he sees and about how long it's gone on. 
Let me give you a little bit of context. You see, Habakkuk comes on the scene. He's a contemporary of Jeremiah, if that gives you any indication, the weeping prophet. He comes on the scene after the reign of King Josiah in Judah. You know, Josiah, the eight-year-old king. I mean, how do you get your mind around an eight-year-old becoming king? I have an eight-year-old in my house. And if she were queen, yowza. I thought about what would the world be like with Queen Kaylee? First of all, in her kingdom, all food would be junk food, 100% guaranteed. All food. Which I'm not necessarily totally opposed to, I will say. Second of all, uh, I don't know about the commoners out in the lands, but I can assure you that no one would ever be allowed to enter her palace and walk. The only way you can move from point A to point B would be cartwheels, 100%. Anyway, we could really waste a lot of time thinking about Queen Kaylee and her rule, but I just want you to understand that Josiah becomes king at eight years old, but when he becomes a young teenager, he leads the nation of Judah that was so deep in immorality and idolatry into revival. And it was this amazing time of revival, but then he dies in battle. And his two sons, Jeroboam and Jehoiakim, become uh, the next kings, and they are utterly and completely wicked. They ignore everything that their father did, and they go back to the wickedness of their grandfather and their great-grandfather. And I mean, the wheels come off. I mean, this is a disaster. And so Habakkuk has been watching this happen. He's watched the people go from here spiritually to here spiritually. It's not like he just came on the scene and it was, I mean, he's watched this complete and utter decline. And he says, oh, Lord, this hasn't been going on for a day, for a week, for a month, years. How long shall I cry and you will not hear? I mean, he gets in the face of God. This text is for all those people that say, you know, oh, well, you know, you, you can't ask that question of God or it's not right to question God in that way or it's, oh, I, I think it is. Because if God didn't kill Habakkuk, there's nobody coming to God more forcefully than this. You see, now, now I want you to understand how we got here. There, there's a progression. You don't, you, don't just, you don't just start frustrated, okay? If there's a progression. All the prophets come on the scene, and they are... They are speaking to the people on behalf of God, right? Habakkuk comes on the scene, and he's speaking to God on behalf of the people. So everything's kind of in reverse. And so what's happened is, is Habakkuk started out very burdened and very, uh, you know, just stressed out and frustrated about the sins of the people. 
But as the sins of the people kept on and kept on, and he kept crying out to God and fasting and praying and seeking the face of God, month after month and year after year, his frustration shifted from the people who were sinning to the God who's not listening. So Habakkuk's struggle is not the people's iniquity, but God's indifference. Now, I look back over my uh, prayer journal over the last few months, and I, I went back to when the quarantine started and the coronavirus came on the scene and church couldn't meet and and as I was reading through some of the things that I had written during that time, I came across one particular day where I was, uh, I'd made just note of the fact that I said, it seems that this virus has made people kinder. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but in the beginning, when all this started, People were super nice and conscientious, and everywhere you went, everyone was very just, you know, people just had this heightened sense of community and sort of family, and it was nice for about a minute. Well, what happened to that? See, now people are really getting frustrated, and it's beginning to wear on them. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe it's wearing on you like it's wearing on me. Maybe you even are starting to feel like that every time you call on God, like Habakkuk, what you hear is, I'm sorry, this number's been disconnected. And so God, He's there. But Habakkuk, isn't sure. And he's frustrated. And so he says, how long shall I cry? And you're not hearing. And I, I tell you about the violence and you don't save. I tell you about the injustice and the trouble, the, the plundering that's before me, the strife and the contention. Are you beginning to relate? Are you beginning to see? Have you turned on the news? The law is powerless and justice doesn't go forth. Wickedness surrounds me and perversion and perverse judgment proceeds. People are messed up. Culture is messed up. Families are messed up. Government is messed up. Yeah. People are paralyzed by fear. Are they going to get sick? Are they going to die? Some people are rioting in the streets. Some governments are ignoring that. Other governments are taking a, an opposite position. Is it safe for our kids to go to school? How are we going to do that? And as all of this continues to go on and all the questions that you're trying to, to answer and 
sort out, continue to mount. In the background is this, this information. Well, there's a, there's a good God in heaven and He's good and He's loving. Well, where is He? Where is He when people are dying and things are going out of control? And we can only take so much. You see, we all can take different amounts. But we can all only take so much. See, we all don't crack at the same time. Some people crack early on. They have a very low threshold. And then others can take it for for much longer. But eventually, eventually everyone will crack. Everyone will succumb to frustration. And when will that happen? Well, we crack when we know God can, but He doesn't. Well, God, if you can, why don't you? What are you doing, God? How does this fit together? How does this work? And when we get frustrated, I mean really frustrated. I mean really, really frustrated. We're going to do something. There's not one person in here that's going to do nothing. You're going to do something. And as I I have observed people over the last 25 years of ministry, I've noticed that people will do one of three things. When they get really frustrated, some people will check out. They just check out. They take a step back. They disappear. They, you know, it's, it's a moment in time when they need God more than any other time, and yet they are nowhere to be found. They disconnect from community, from church. They pull back. They go in a different direction. They, they go out in the wilderness for a while. That's how they... That's what they do. They just check out. They're frustrated with God. They're frustrated with the situation, the circumstances, the hardship. Maybe they've lost their job or their their businesses went under because of all of this or some other thing or they've lost a loved one or whatever the case may be and they just check out. And they make this drastic mistake of departing when they need the things of God, the Word of God, and the people of God more than any other point in their life. Then there's other people, they don't check out, they bail out. Now typically the people that bail out are people that are newer to the journey. They're, they've been around seeking, but not necessarily. Sometimes you have people that have been around a long time who are bailers. But they'll get so frustrated, they just bail out. They just bail out. It's, uh, you know, I tried the God thing. I gave it all I could, but it just didn't work. And if that's the way God is, I'm not going to follow Him. 
You know, the, the crisis of the people who bail out are, they, they'll never see what God was willing to do. They never see. It's gone. But if you don't check out and you don't bail out, what do you do? You, you, you fall into the third category. You're like Habakkuk. You work it out. See, Habakkuk was, he knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew that you, it, you were, you know, when you, when you get in God's face, you're, it's serious business. But he had to get to resolution because checking out or bailing out wasn't an option for him. And that's where I want you to be today. I don't want you to not be frustrated. I, I'm kind of worried about you if you're not frustrated. I want you to to work it out. I want you to wrestle it out. I want you to get in the ring with God. I want you to be like Habakkuk. He doesn't hit the panic button and just go off the deep end, but he doesn't hit the snooze button and act like nothing's really going on. See, the thing about Habakkuk is he, he doesn't pretend, but he doesn't pout. He wrestles. He works it out. And let me tell you something about God. I mean, it's just the news flash. Maybe some of you need to be reminded. Some of you need to know this. God always answers prayer. Always. He always answers prayer. You've never prayed a prayer that God didn't answer. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. God answers prayer. He just doesn't answer prayer the way we think we want Him to answer prayer. So why, why, do we, why, why are we here this morning? Why are you here this morning? You know, if ever there was a time, ever there was a time, I've never known of a time that it's more compelling to not be here. You could just stay home. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to, probably no one's even going to miss you because they're just going to assume. You're like so many people in our congregation where you, you maybe you're, you have to, you know, quarantine for 14 days because somebody you work with got sick or tested positive or this or that or the other. Or maybe you're afraid or maybe this or maybe that or whatever the case may be. You just stay home be so much easier. And not only that, you can watch all this on television. Why be here? What's the point? What do we, what do we, when we're in a, in a, in a situation, a season of frustration, what do we do when we come in here? We come in here and we bring what seems to be up against what really is. We come in here and we bring what we think up against what God says. That's why this is so important. That's why we need to do this. God answers Habakkuk. And look at what he says in verse 5. Quotations. The Lord says, Look among the nations and watch... Be utterly astounded, 
For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though it were told you. And then what I believe to be the eight words that would literally go through his body like an earthquake. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Now listen to what he says about these people. A bitter and a hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth. They possess dwellings that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fierce, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalries come from afar. They fly as the eagle, a hasten to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like the sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his little G God. Now let me just help you wrap your head around The mind-blowing nature of that response. What God says in response to this prophet who is utterly at his breaking point. God says, you think that's bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. Nothing. Nothing. He levies information on Habakkuk that is so horrific in nature. Here Habakkuk is. He thinks there's no way things can possibly get worse than they are right now. So he comes to God in absolute frustration and God answers him. And what he hears makes what he's currently living in look like Disneyland. The Chaldeans, they make Al-Qaeda look like the Girl Scouts. See, never judge God by what you would do if you were God because you're not. Isn't it true that We so desperately want to see behind the green curtain. We we so desperately want to know. God, show us what you're doing. Show us what you're doing. And then we get a glimpse of it and we're like, "I, I I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know that. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe. You wouldn't believe it, though it were told you. 
you cannot possibly wrap your head around, but I'm going to give you a little tiny glimpse into the future. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. What in the world? Now, before I start explaining to you what all this means, I just want us to sort of pause here and marinate in the moment of, of us wanting to know what's going on. I want you to just think about that for a minute. And I want you to think about all the things you would ask God for, or maybe have been asking God for. And the frustration maybe that you felt because God hasn't given you what you've asked for. Do you really want God to answer your prayers your way? Is that what you want? Would you like that? Would you like a father who gives his kids whatever they ask for? Did anybody ever watch Willy Wonka and think, you know, Veruca, I want to be like Veruca. You know, I want a goose that lays golden eggs and I want it now. And you see, the, you instantly hate Veruca. But what's the problem with Veruca? Is, is Veruca's problem that she's selfish and annoying and obnoxious and disrespectful? And all of those things are true, but that's not Veruca's problem. Do you know Veruca Salt's problem? Henry Salt's. Her father hated her. He gave her everything she wanted. And he destroyed her. You want your father to give you everything you wanted? You know, a father that gives their children everything they want hates their child. Hates their child. So God, He answers. It's not what Habakkuk wants to hear. It's not what we want to hear. But is that bad? Maybe not. Maybe that's good. So what happens when we get in the ring and decide to wrestle with God? We need to understand who we're wrestling. We, we need to understand who's in the ring when we get in the ring with Him. We need to understand that when we wrestle with God, which I am imploring you to do, by the way, but I also want you to understand that when you get in the ring with Him, you're getting in the ring with the undefeated, undisputed, all-world, all-time, all-universe 
grand champion who has never lost a round and who never will lose a round. That's who you're arguing with. That's who you're wrestling with. But he invites you in the ring, but you better know who you're getting in the ring with when you get in. So what happens when God answers your prayer? What do you do? How do you respond? When you, when you ask God, God, what's going on? And why is our, why is our world falling apart? And when is this going to end? And are we going to go back to normal? And, you know, what's going to happen to me and my family? And to this and to that and all those things. And God hears them all. But the next day, nothing changes. In fact, the next day is the same as the day before that and the day before that. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And what you thought was bad two weeks ago, you had no idea what was coming. So what do you do? What would Habakkuk teach us? Look at verse 12. Habakkuk does something very interesting. Now I want you to notice the change of tone. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. Hmm. Now, if you would have been standing next to Habakkuk when he asked God and God answered, I believe the look on Habakkuk's face when God said, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, would have been the same look that Job had on his face when he read God the riot act. And God let Job go all the way through it all. And when finally God was like, now are you done? And when he was done, God said to Job, Where were you when I created everything? And Job sort of gulped and leaned back. Habakkuk responds, Are you not from everlasting? Holy One, we shall not die. You've appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. Now, 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 now I just want to stop and just point something out to you. Is Habakkuk saying that what he's heard from God is now okay, or he understands it, or it's going to be all right, or it's... Has God in any way settled Habakkuk's heart about tomorrow? Oh no, he's turned the volume up ten times. So what changed? At this moment, what does Habakkuk know? Other than all the bad things. He only knows one very important piece of information. One thing. 
He knows now that God has a plan. It's not a plan he understands. It's not a plan he likes. It's not a plan he would have chose. But God has a plan. And his whole tone changes. Look, verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? See, he's not, he's not totally settled. He's wrestling through the character and nature of God. He's trying to figure out how this, how, how, God, wait a minute, how can you be so pure that you can't look on evil and yet all these things are happening and you're raising up the epitome of evil, these marauding Chaldeans. What does this teach us about God? God sees everything. You know that? He sees everything. There's nothing God doesn't see. So when it says your eyes, you know, are, you're too pure to behold evil, what he's trying to wrestle through and what he doesn't understand is that God sees sin. God just doesn't look on it with approval the way we do. You see, when you tell an off-color joke, God hears what you say. He just doesn't laugh at it. When you look at an inappropriate image, God sees that. He just doesn't stare at it. Why do you, verse 14, make men like fish in the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook, and they catch them in their net and gather them with their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. You can go to the New Testament and read the parable Jesus spoke about the dragnet. I don't have time to go there, but it's be fascinating right there. Because by them, their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Does that sound like someone who has total resolution? No. Here's what he says. He says, God, you're holy. God, you're, you're pure. But God, you're also sovereign. See, Habakkuk here is teaching us something very valuable when we find ourselves swimming upstream. You can't just get up every day and swim upstream and not lose heart and not get frustrated and not, you just can't do it. And when you're swimming upstream in a sea of confusion, when the world around you appears to be spinning out of control, when things are changing at such a rate that you never feel like you have any sort of handle on what's going on around you, 
What do you do? Habakkuk goes, he takes a step back to the basics. And he, he says, if God is eternally wise, well, then he has a plan. I mean, that, that, that's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, if God is wise, he has a plan. Amen? Okay. And if God has a plan, this plan is going to work. See, that, that's all he knows. All he knows is that God has a plan. He doesn't like the plan. He doesn't understand the plan. But, he's, but he knows God has a plan. In fact, it's a mind-boggling plan. In fact, the plan is the opposite of anything he could imagine. It was the furthest thing from what he thought God would say, but that doesn't matter. You see, when we don't understand God's plan, it doesn't change his plan. When we don't like God's plan, it doesn't change his plan. When we rail against the plan, it doesn't change his plan. Does it? No. So... Let me, let me show you something about God's plan from Acts chapter 13. These verses will come up on the screen, okay? You can read along with me. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch. And they've just arrived. And they haven't started their ministry to the Gentiles yet. They, and they go to the synagogue because that's what Paul always did. And if you remember back, I don't know. A year ago when we were in Acts 13, he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching. And who's in the synagogue? The Jews are in the synagogue. And so he goes in and he starts telling the Jews about Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And then he says, beware therefore. He tells them about Jesus. And then and, and, and everything that Jesus offers, the forgiveness of sin and, 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 and all of this, these amazing, unbelievable realities that have come out of the the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he warns them and he says, Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. And then he quotes Habakkuk chapter 1. Behold you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you by no means believe though one were to declare it to you. What in the world does that mean? Paul uses Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 to tell the Jews about Jesus and, and their opportunity for salvation. Why does he do that? Because he wants them to understand that only God 
could take something so horrible and make something so great come out of it. See, what he's doing is, Paul is, in this very ingenious way, he's telling the Jews, God used wicked, rebellious, and evil people to accomplish the best thing that has ever happened on earth. You got that? You might need to think about that for a minute. So if that's the case, if we are a people whose life is founded, whose hope is grounded in what appeared to be the darkest and most horrific moment in human history, which actually became the greatest moment, then wouldn't this be true? Wouldn't it be true that a people of hope born in darkness should be the most hopeful people in the darkness? I'm just asking. I'm not saying that you should be only hopeful. I'm not saying that you don't get frustrated. I'm just simply saying compared to people who are not born of hope out of darkness, you ought to be by far the most hopeful of all people in the midst of all the confusion. Is that right? I mean, I'm just saying. Doesn't that only just sort of make sense? But you see, that's not where the story ends in Acts 13. So he tells them about how God used wicked and evil and spun it around for good. And then here's how they respond. And then as they went out of the synagogue, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Wow! Look at what happened. The next Sabbath... Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Mm. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul had spoken, reviling him. I want you to see what Paul does. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, hold with me for a second. Think. These Jews, they're God-fearing people. Clearly, they believe in God. They're they're in the synagogue. They're Jews, for goodness sake. They're, they're, They're zealous for the law. They, if anyone in this culture is seeking after God, it would have been the Jews. What derailed them? 
they could not get their head around the fact that God used evil people in evil circumstances to save His people. They had decided what they thought God would do. They were assured that they knew the plan of God, that they knew the purposes of God. They were 100% convinced of that. And so when someone shows up, no matter how good the news is, when it didn't fit into their box, when they couldn't comprehend it, when they couldn't get their head around it, They judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Let, let, me, let me just drive this home for you this morning, okay? People who only believe what makes sense to them judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Understand what the Bible's teaching. God in no way, shape, or form has showed up on the scene and said, listen... Here's everything about me. Here's all the things you could ever want to know. Here's, here's everything so that you'll fully know and understand everything about me. That's not who God is. And quite frankly, that's not what you want. And that clearly is not what I want. I don't want to serve a God like me. I tried that the first 25 years of my life. It didn't go so good. No, no, I want a God way, 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 way different than me. Way bigger than me. Way smarter than me. Way much better than me. You see, I, I am comforted by the fact that the secret things belong only to God. I am comforted. I, I am grateful that God gives us what He gives us. And he, he gives us these moments to peer behind the curtain just for a second and see a little glimpse of what's going on. But that's all. Well, I mean, I, I know that God's given us all we need. And quite frankly, I'm good with that. Because when we do peer behind the curtain, you know what? is obvious to me. All we can handle is a glimpse. It's all we can handle. You see, he, he knows what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. He's never late and he's never wrong. He's always on time. He always sees what's behind us, what's with us right now, and what's ahead of us. He's never asleep at the wheel. He's always engaged. He's always attentive. He's always listening. He's always watching. His plan never, ever stops. Not for one second, it never stops. It's always going forward. And it's not the plan we want it to be. Praise God. Is it scary? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But think about it. What option do you have? Where are you going to go? 
Where are you going to move? Hmm? Everyone. Everyone's subject to the plan of God. But we don't all go through it the same. No. While some are riding in the streets and others are locked down with fear and others are acting out in all sorts of different ways and struggling in all sorts of different ways. There's one segment of the population that's a people born of a hope through darkness. And we don't, we don't, I know you want me to tell you what's going to happen. You want me to tell you where this is leading. You want me to tell you how God's going to use it. You want me to, but I'm not. And you know why? Because I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. God has a plan. That's what I know. I know what Habakkuk knows. God's got a plan. God's on the throne. God's in control. Rest assured, there ain't nothing happening that he doesn't know about. You could take it to the bank. And you couldn't in a million years, any more than you could at any other point before now in history, none of us could have ever dreamed how God would use trial, tribulation, suffering, confusion, chaos, disaster to bring about what? Beauty, life, glory, eternity. So take a deep breath, Christian. This is an opportunity for you to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Get in the ring with God. Tell Him how you feel. Listen, don't, don't ride on my coattails. Because believe me, we're slugging it out, me and him. You need to get in the ring for you. You get in there. And I want you to tell God how you feel. Tell him what, tell him. Tell him what you're frustrated about. Tell him what you're devastated about. Tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him all these, just unload it. But when you're done unloading it, listen. Listen. Do what Habakkuk did. When you don't know, take a step back to what you do know. So I'm going to leave you with three things. Number one, when I don't think God is listening, He is. He is. He hears you, Veruca. And praise God. 
He's a good enough daddy to tell you, you ain't getting a goose, sit down and shut up. <laughs> Amen. When I don't think he has a plan, he does. He does. Just open up his word. It's, his, it's like his, his plan book. You just open up his word and start reading. And you see, you start seeing the fingerprints of a God who's always had a plan. He's always had a plan, always had a plan. But the world never saw the plan, never knew the plan, never got the plan, didn't understand the plan. Even when they were told explicitly multiple times, even when we had a physical embodiment of the plan before us on earth, we still didn't get the plan. But God had a plan nonetheless. Praise God. His plan is not predicated on our ability to know it, receive it, or understand it. He's got a plan. And number three, when I think things are out of control, they're not. They may be crazy. They may be wicked. They may be evil. They may not be what you want them to be, but they are one thing for sure. They are not out of control. They're not. They're not. And so when your heart starts beating and your blood pressure goes up, be like Habakkuk. Say, God, how is it? Who else? Who else could take words 2,700 years old and make it as if he were speaking straight into today oh he's got a plan don't you worry he's got a plan